Welcome to Managing Marketing and today we've got uh, David Angel, General Manager for Australia and New Zealand and Head of Media at Trinity P3 in the office in Sydney. Welcome David. Thank you Darren, nice to be here as always. What do they say? Welcome to the Emerald City, uh, <laughs> they say, for uh, for those uh, Melbourne folk that make the trek north. Yes, I don't do it enough quite frankly, but it is good to be here, for sure. And. Um, one of the issues that uh, has been talked about a lot in media is contracts. Um, you know, those huge documents, uh, hundreds of pages long with very small type that uh, usually get slid across the desk from the client to the agency to uh, read through and sign. You know, that, remember contracts, David? Yes, I do remember contracts. And it's funny you should describe them like that because... Uh in my experience, many contracts in, in this particular industry are actually pushed the opposite way from the agency to the client and they contain very few pages and uh, very few clauses in actual fact that uh, make them truly uh, effective or enforceable. And it's one of the things that um, as the transparency debate rumbles on, um, this industry has really struggled with because a lot of things do begin at the contract. Because that's well, that's a that's an interesting perspective. Because uh, I have uh, mainly seen the big heavy ones, and maybe that's because I'm dealing with banks and telcos. They seem to have clauses after clause. I remember one particular bank; it was 146 pages long, and there was a section called the SLA, the Service Level mm -hmm. Agreement, was just one small part of this. And I started reading through it and it said things like the agency will return phone calls within two hours and the KPI was 99.9%. <laughs> and I pointed out to the procurement person, who's measuring and timing how quickly the agency calls yes. and what happens if the client calls the agency at 10 o'clock at night? Do they have to call before midnight if that's the particular case? So it's it is. In, I think we're talking about balance here. You know, I I completely understand. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> that there, in some sectors, that where regulation and procurement is strong, banking and finance, and I have my own experience with banking and finance clients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in other sectors, um, and you know, I'll give you a personal example. A, a, a particular hmm. FMCG marketer that I've worked with for a number of years. Yes, no names, no, no names. because we've got a whole filing cabinet of non-disclosure yes, and confidentiality. Absolutely agreements. right. We're not naming names <laughs> here, but um, and this was in my time at Agency Loan, but yeah. um, you know the the uh, the contract was I don't know five six years out of date. It had the wrong names in it. It had the wrong terms in it. It, it had been gathering dust in a drawer. But I think the interesting thing is that whether the contract is 150 pages long or whether it's three pages long if it fundamentally isn't enforceable or if it doesn't lend itself to a um, mutually beneficial agreement between the parties, um, it's just not an appropriate agreement. So the 99% of calls is completely inappropriate. How, yeah. how would you ever measure that? Um, I, think, I think the point is that you know, contracts get a very bad rap as far as advertising, marketing and media, don't they? I mean, it's almost like 
because of either the huge ridiculous contract or the two-pager that, uh, what was it, one of the uh, Hollywood moguls said that verbal contract isn't worth the paper it's yes. written on, you know, whether it's one or the other, um, people are inclined to think, and, and I mean people as in marketers as well as agencies, often see contracts simply as another hurdle that has to be overcome on their way to doing business together rather than a much broader uh, opportunity, don't they? Would you think yeah, that's fair? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think um, certainly in any kind of search and selection process or when an agency is close to winning a piece of business, yeah. Um, in fact, a lot of agencies are appointed without a contract having been signed and then the contract goes off to legal and goes through... Uh, various iterations between the organisation and the agency's legal teams, whilst the marketing team, the agency service team, just get on and, and they don't pay much attention to the contract. And um, uh, that's obviously quite flawed. I mean, you know, I think the contract's an incredibly important document, and um, if, if the contract is correctly put together, um, it offers protection, um, opportunity, cost rationale, everything else um, that, that, that enables an agency to deliver best value for a client. Yeah, because I think the other thing that you hear a lot of lawyers say is, oh, it's important to have a good contract, especially when something goes wrong, which is quite a, you know, to me, negative view because, in fact, contracts can be a much more um, valuable document if they actually define expectations on both sides rather than just be well you know here's what you have to do if they're more like here's what we expect from each other and then they can become documents that define the relationship yeah i think contracts can absolutely be constructive they don't have to be destructive and they, they don't have to be negative in tone um, protection is just one part of a contractual agreement mm -hmm. and um, uh, if the performance measures are right and and correctly measured and, and are designed in such a way that the output is essentially value-based as opposed to anything else, um, then a contract can be a really useful document and a really useful guide for um, an agency-client relationship. Mm. So getting the right contract in place is clearly you know, something that's important, but equally important would be keeping it up to date, wouldn't it? Well, we tend to, I, I certainly, when clients ask me this, they say, oh, well, should we, you know, we, review the contract terms, what that means, we go to pitch every year, does it? It's, no, not at all. The, the, the whole idea is that you, you regularly review contract terms so that a, a relationship stays uh, fresh, commensurate and, um, and appropriate and um, has the right um, things attached to it because agency-client re relationships are um, constantly evolving by nature, of, it's the nature of the beast. See, in what you just said then, is exactly the mentality that people have. You know, oh, if we're going to review the contract, do we have to go to pitch? Yes. It's almost like, oh, well, contract's something you do as part of the pitch and then forget about it. <laughs> it's an absolute cornerstone of an agreement, as we all know, as we all know it as business people, right? Yeah. You know, we, and, and, as, and as personal individuals, you wouldn't, you wouldn't enter into agreement without having a contract in place. But um, the contract has to be up to date um, and, um, I think sometimes agencies won't go there because they worry that if they bring up contract renewal, it will lead to a pitch, which yeah. is fundamentally it works against works them, against it? them, and it works against it works against that relationship. I think it's very very healthy to look at contractual terms and, and to build something into a contract that allows that review to happen. Yeah. So if you have a regular review process that's not related to a pitch, it actually becomes just part of doing business together. 
Yeah, absolutely, and, and and things get tailored. I think I think organisations are often worried that it's, it would inevitably lead to cost increase, mm. um, but that's just one lever. You know, if mm. if the um, if the scope has changed, which it almost certainly will from year to year in one form or another, then there may need to be things adjusted. Um, but that's a that's a graphic equaliser of adjustments. It's not a sort of okay, either the cost goes up or the Tear cost up goes the down. Contract and let's start uh, again. It, it's it, not that at all. Correct. People might have left positions. The FTE structure might need to change. There may be new non-retained services that, that have been used and may need to come into a retainer. Uh, the, the amount of campaigns might have changed. The the number of outputs might have changed, and um, it just doesn't make much sense to keep that keep that static if um, so much change is happening because it's not really sustainable. And the change you're talking about there seems to be the sort of internal change of what the client needs from the agency. But there's also the much broader industry changes that are going on. You know, technology, as we know, is driving huge changes in the media supply chain. So, you know, um, and the reason I bring it up is that I had a client that said, oh, we renewed our uh, contract five years ago. And I'm going, gee, a lot's happened in five years, hasn't it? Uh, there is, yeah, absolutely, and you know there are some huge, I've, you know, it's a common phrase that uh, you know marketing can be seen as like the wild west by by procurement and legal people, and it's for that kind of reason. You know, you've, in in five years, technology has fundamentally changed, data has fun, you know, the use of, of data has fundamentally changed, and that just those two examples from a uh, corporate governance perspective are. are Huge and mm. and yet, for some reason, mark a lot of marketing or agency relationships do not have uh, up to date measures in place to ensure that that things like this are covered off properly. Do you think it's a little bit like a mentality that the contract's written in stone? You know, it's like either Moses' tablets from the mount or the tombstone put on the grave of the relationship that, you know, oh, it's so important that we've written all these terms and conditions and been signed off by all these people that it can't possibly change. Yeah, it does feel like a bit of a birth or death thing, you know. You do it at the start or at the end, not not anything in the middle. And um, it, it just fundamentally doesn't doesn't account for um, evolution in that relationship. Um, that evolution can come from the client side, as you say, but it also can come from the agency making different recommendations, adapting to trends, uh, offering different services, evolving their own business model. Um, trends in, in in remuneration change with certainly in the media area with with and in the creative and the advertising area actually with with regard to. Uh, what content needs to produce, be produced, and how often, and and uh, what are the implications on on the media buy as a result of that. So things like that are in constant flux, and you know we all love to say change is constant. Well, if the contract is set in stone, it's obviously not keeping up up to speed with uh, with the change. It does become a tombstone or a milestone along the timeline of uh, of history, doesn't it? I, it? It does. I also think there's probably a lack of balance in some ways. And, and you know, we're focusing a bit on the challenges here, but and, and of course... Oh, we'll get know, to the positives. Absolutely. And, and you know, <laughs> marketing agencies are filled with very, very bright people and, and they're also very busy. And, and sometimes it's just a case of, you know, to having the, the due diligence to actually make time to sit down and look at this stuff. But I think sometimes these relationships can become very professionally intense and very personal and very, um, you know, you're working with individuals in another organisation in a very professionally intimate way in some cases. And that can 
get in the way of having the conversations about things like contract, which are much, which is feels like a much more official thing. Mm. Um, and uh, sometimes it does take the the sort of intervention of a compliance legal procurement team at either end to actually sort of put a check on that core relationship and say, look, this does really this does need to be looked at. Yeah, I remember getting some great advice from uh, a, a lawyer that uh, we work with who said contracts should be in two parts. The first part is all of the terms and conditions that are almost like the most basic uh, agreement of what you expect of each other, you know, sort of honesty, integrity, security, all of the legal things that you can actually define in a contract. Yeah. You know, that really don't change. But then it should all refer to the schedule or the appendices, mm-hmm. whereas all the bits that do change. So it's almost like the two two chapters, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is set in, is literally set in stone. But the second half, all of the appendices or the schedules are the things that can change yep. because they need to change. Otherwise, the whole contract gets thrown out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a baseline of, of generic terms that you'll find in pretty much any contract. Um, but with these particular types of agency-client relationships, there's a whole range of other things that, as you say, it could be schedules or appendices or anything else that um, are absolutely not static. Now, I've had, uh, on, on managing marketing, we've had uh, two lawyers, one in the US and one in Australia, talking about the differences between a principal-agent relationship, which is where the term advertising agency came from, and a subcontractor or contractor relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a particular importance for media, doesn't it? Uh, it, it does, um, in that the the media agency is uh, you know, a lot of the clients, the advertising clients' money flows through a media agency and out to other third parties. Um, in a, in a, um, an agency in principal relationship, the agency has some a degree of fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. um, to act in the best interest of of its client. Whereas a, a, an independent third party um, contractor. Or contractor agreement. Yeah. Um, there isn't the same rigor around that, and um, and that leads to um, that that opens the um, agency to be able to indulge in opaque business practices or, or in practices which are not necessarily in the best interest of of its client. Um, my experience has been that that um, most clients do not actually want to enter into a principal and agency agreement when when the, when this has come up. They 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 prefer the independent contractor. Uh, relationship because it, it offers more flexibility to them uh, in terms of termination and, and other things and also how the agency is representing them but um, so it's a, it's a very it's a double-edged sword I'm not a lawyer but it is a double-edged sword I, um, it certainly recognizes best practice that in a media agency contract um, the um, agency should be recognized as such um, in, in that relationship but um, a lot of uh, organizations don't yet subscribe to that well, the reason that they're called agencies is that they entered into agreements, agency agreements, for the media owners originally. Mm. They acted as agents not of the advertiser no, but of the, the media owner, owner yeah. you know, and they were virtually selling or placing media buys on behalf of the owners. Because you can imagine you know, the William Hursts and the like 
uh, were selling advertising space in newspapers, they didn't want to deal with a hundred thousand little advertisers worried about you know whether they could pay their bills. So they got their rich mates to set up advertising agencies that would be guaranteed that they would get paid and they would take the risk and in return they'd get a 10% commission. Yes. That's, that's the original agent agreement. Fast forward to today and we've still got agency relationships around apart from advertising which has become a bit blurred. We've still got real estate agents and yep. news agents and all of these people act as agent and principal relationships. If you sell your house, you have they take a percentage of the sale as the agent, but they have to be fully disclosing yes. in everything they do. Financial agents have to disclose any third party under law because that's the, the way they work. It's quite different though, isn't it, for advertising agencies, because if they're a contractor, if they're a third party independent contractor, there is no legal responsibility for no. providing that level of no. disclosure, is there? And as I say, that leads to opaque, it opens the agency and the advertiser to opaque um, practices, whether that's in media trading or, or anywhere else. And that's been one of the fundamental uh, challenges around the transparency debate that's been happening for uh, a couple of years now. Mm. Yeah, so I think you, you mentioned before that advertisers are the ones that seem to prefer uh, the agent be independent contractors. Yeah, I, I, it's something that, um, it's just been my personal experience having worked with a number of these um, organisations on this kind of thing. Um, I, I can, and I think it comes from their own legal and compliance teams who perhaps don't have a full understanding of how um, agencies actually operate. Well, I've been told, by, again, by a lawyer, but it's not legal advice, mm. is that it's because, as independent third parties, they wear all the responsibility. Yes. That if a deal goes bad, they end up wearing the cost. Mm. Whereas a principal agent, because they're acting as an agent for the principal, the principal has a responsibility. So even if the deal goes bad, the principal is the one that where's the cost yes um, so it's a bit like you know mitigating risk by making the agency wear all the cost and this is you know this is why you know i was talking before about two-way flexibility and and that's 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 fundamental to it but certainly agencies prefer not to enter in that into that kind of relationship either so it's like <laughs> they, 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 they both seem to prefer to want independent contractor relationships whereas actually from a a pure responsibility and a, and, a, and a transparency point of view, it would be much better to go um, uh, principal and agent. Well, talking to people like Mark Code at PhD, where he objects is being taken from being an agent-principal relationship to a contractor, but then being told, and you have to declare all your margins and hand them over to us. So it's almost like having your cake and eat it too, because you're saying, I want you to wear all the risk. I want you to stick your neck out and potentially get it chopped off if these deals go bad. But by the way, we also want you to declare all of your kickbacks, margins and things and pay them back to us as rebates. I, I think that's very fair. I think there's a lot in that. Um, I think we, we talked at the start about the contract being a, a you know a document that uh, should be mutually beneficial and commensurate for both parties and 
Absolutely. Whilst there's been so much furore about media transparency, agency transparency, um, it, it, that is a two-way street and uh, a contract has to be fair and reasonable to both parties. And Mark absolutely has a point. Mm. It's, it's funny, isn't it? It's almost like wanting their cake and eat it too. <laughs> yes, and, and look, I mean, you know, I guess in any in any business you, you negotiation, want you, you want you want the best of both worlds, right? But these are, you know, these aren't project based or short term relationships. These are relationships that last for years and are built on uh, a degree of professional trust and a degree of professional openness. And um, I think the contract, you know, the contract is a critical part of that. Yeah, and but also involves transactioning millions tens of millions, hundreds of millions, and, and on a global basis, billions of dollars. Um, it, yeah, I don't know, if, do you have uh, insurance, life insurance and the like? I you know, do. And, or or uh, investments, yeah. Imagine yeah. Um, having a deal with your um, insurance person where they're recommending to you uh, products, insurance products or investment products, where they don't have to declare the kickbacks or the the commissions they're getting would would you be sitting there going i'm wondering if they're recommending the best deal for me or the best deal for them absolutely and uh, <laughs> multiply that by a million and you've got you know you've got the issue that uh, that marketers have with uh, with with agencies and and um uh, you know the only way to to Contractually speaking, the only way to fix that is to is is to adopt the structure we've been talking about. But like you say, principal agent, principal agent. But Mark, you know, the, the organisations often do want to have their cake and eat it too. I think that also extends into into other areas of of contracts, as you as you say, um, agencies spend millions and millions of dollars, um, and yet sometimes have to sign contracts with ninety, one hundred and twenty day payment terms. And you know, even for yeah. a big, even for a big agency organisation, that creates significant cash flow issues. And uh, the, the balance is everything. And I think um, all too often um, the, the, the organisation does want to have its cake and eat it too, and, and it, it's just not feasible. You know, one of the things that uh, cracks me up is the fact that a lot of these contract negotiations really are bully tactics. And I raised that recently at the Ethics Alliance, which is part mm-hmm. of the Ethics Centre. I said, it's interesting how it's only the bigger the company, the more they're able to bully their supplier on contracts like terms, right? Mm. And uh, and uh, so a lawyer that was in the meeting said, oh, no, it even happens to us and we're a big client, we're a big company as a law firm. You know, it was one mm. of the big law firms. And I said, but your client's bigger, aren't they? And they said, yes. A conversation recently with a client said to me, Oh, we still pay through the media agency for Facebook and Google because they won't accept the 90-day payment terms, but our agency will. And I said, that's interesting because Facebook and Google would be significantly larger in uh, capital size than you, wouldn't they? And I went, yeah. And I went, hmm, bling. <laughs> look, it is. and I don't know. It's a fine line, isn't it? You know, of course, you've got to get the best for your... For your um your organisation in, in a contract or a, or, a, or a negotiation of any kind, but um, uh, have your cake and eat it too mentality does not lend itself to agencies then responding in kind with a with a, a more um, open and or transparent way of doing business. And if, if organisations are getting very worked up about agencies not being transparent, well, there is a corresponding action they have to take to um, 
to engender that behaviour and, and part of that is contractual. Because do you think contracts can actually create trust or do you think trust comes from working through the, the contract? I think trust comes from... Uh, I, I think trust is developed over time, obviously, um, in a relationship, but trust has to be built on the right foundation. Mm. And, um, you know, there, there would be lots of clauses in a contract which you would hope to never have to enforce, but, but at the same time, you need that foundation, certainly at the start of a relationship, um, uh, in order to, to build trust with confidence, because trust requires confidence in the relationship. Mm. Um, you know, there's been a few industry uh, examples of contracts, especially for media. You know, I think the most public was Isbar in the UK came mm. out with a media contract template. Have you have you seen that or have you yes, I have, and um, uh, the AANA over here have a very similar one that was, I think, adapted from the ANA in the States and, and Isbar in the UK. Um, uh, the complaint, certainly with the first iteration of the ISBAR contract, was that the agencies weren't even consulted, so they they complained about that in terms of the, the way the contract was structured. Um, and I think the second iteration has in, involved agencies to a, to a greater extent. They are um, they they are they are strong documents, but it's unwise to adapt a one size fits all mentality um, with regard to how individual organisations either want or need to operate uh, with their agency. So um, when I'm doing that kind of work with clients for Trinity P3, certainly we use those kind of documents selectively rather than um, as, a, as a complete enforcer mm. um, because not everything in there will be appropriate for everyone. Yeah, I think they're a good boilerplate, isn't that the term? Boilerplate so, to... Uh, yeah. To uh, st- as a starting point, you know, it can give you some basics, but uh, you know, every every um, client's media requirements are going to be slightly different. There'll be some basic things that are right, but uh, you know, I think it's probably better to just have a, as you said earlier, just a regular review process, so that you can start from something and then over time evolve it, so that it's, it brings mutual benefit. I think it's. Um those documents don't you know don't misunderstand me I think those documents are great pieces of work and and I understand what they're trying to do there are also explanatory notes that go with them so you know you don't necessarily have to take the the entirety of the document so in intention um, those documents are are great Um, it's just they can't it it can't be uniformly applied to to everyone one of one of the, the most interesting observations I've had in the last three three and a half years is that clients it's not necessarily that they know whether their agency is transparent or not they don't even know the level of transparency that is available to them or which is appropriate for their own organization and that's almost the first step it's not as simple as is your agency transparent or not transparent there are shades of gray within that and um, I've found that some organizations want a completely different degree of transparency to others based on their um, circumstances, their governance and everything else and that, that's the way that these contracts should be tailored and then reviewed over time as we've been discussing. Do you, th- uh, you know, my, my feeling and I'd be interested in whether you agree is that it's also a bit of the way that this whole um, process has evolved, you know, there was the sudden reveal of uh, oh my god there's rebates and agencies are making money that we don't know about, aren't the agencies bad, when in actual fact 
in most cases, they weren't doing anything that was either illegal or in many cases against the con uh, the contract. And then so it was like, well, what we've got to do is close those loopholes with the contract and then enforce it with uh, financial audits and benchmarking and media audits and things like It was all about, uh, you know, almost like retribution and, uh, and, and punishing the naughty agency. Yeah, and that's, that's, you know, that has been whipped up in, in the media. Um, again, balance is really important. Some of the things in those contracts are really important to have and agencies habitually have not put them in. Um, However, clients have signed those contracts and mm. they have signed addendums to those contracts that allow the agency in plain writing, I've seen them with my own, you know, in plain writing, to, to, in plain English, to trade in a particular way um, that is um, beneficial to the client in some ways, e.g. cheap inventory, for example, but not beneficial from a transparency point of view. And there is a, an argument, a valid argument, say, well, what would you have the agency do? You know, at the end of the day, they're in business. Um, <laughs> They're, they're, they've come with a proposition, the client's accepted that proposition. It doesn't necessarily um, mean that all agencies are evil um, suddenly as a result of um, uh, discoveries made by the, by the ANA. The other thing I would say is that the opaque practices are not just about media agencies. They exist throughout the entirety of the, of the supply chain. And um, it's something that um, is, is a challenge for everyone. But what the client needs to look at is, is Okay, what do you actually want from your agency? Is the agency delivering value and how are you measuring that value? Um, and do you have a, 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 a contractual agreement that is commensurate with your requirements? That's not the same as do you have the absolute 146-page contract that says absolutely everything that you should have from ISBAR or the, or the ANA? It's a, it's a really good point that I think gets lost is that the whole media supply chain has existed from the day it was created on commissions yes right and all we're really dealing with now is the fact scale because the amounts of money that are getting spent today and technology has made it a lot more complex uh, a lot more transactions are happening in real time which makes it a lot harder to actually be able to even get your head around what's going on let alone try and audit or you know um, measure that those behaviours. These things are incredibly hard to audit, um, but at the same, you know, and, and that's why contractual evolution is required within reason um, mm. to to give both parties a, a degree of confidence that that um, uh, that they can they can achieve what they need to achieve um, without being uh, without feeling like they're being ripped off. Um, but I don't, you know, it's certainly not as simple as. Um, everything the buck stops with the media agency it just doesn't it's just, just way more complicated than that and um, uh, media agencies are actually investing a lot of money in, in, in tools and technology to try and prevent that sort of thing as well as anything else so yeah it's a it's a nuanced thing so David um, you've got a new podcast that you're starting yourself uh, it's called media angle and you're interviewing or chatting with people from what, media agencies, media owners, and advertisers? Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's been a great deal of interest from people um, who want to talk to me about all sorts of topics, but the basic premise is that I'm examining media from any number of angles, and there are lots more than just transparency, for example. Um, so I'm not just talking to um, CEOs of media agencies, although there are some involved. Um, I'm talking to um, procurement people. I'm talking to marketers. 
Um, I'm talking to media owners and um, the, the, the already uh, the number of different perspectives that, that come across and the insights that you generate from that have been really fascinating. So um, yeah, I'm enjoying doing that and um, that they'll be available pretty soon, I think. So uh, Media Angle by David Angel is going to be available on SoundCloud and iTunes very soon. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, make sure you uh, check it out. It's uh, media from every angle. I like the idea. Absolutely. Uh, David, thanks for joining us and uh, having the conversation around contracts. I no mean, problem. most people would think that uh, a chat about contracts would be really boring, but it's uh, actually quite interesting. <laughs> I'll leave it for the listeners to decide, but we've tried to make it as, uh, as non-dry as possible. So and, thanks very much. <laughs> and uh, what's the worst contract you've ever seen? <laughs>